All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast, episode number 240. As always, I am your host, Bailey Eigbrett, and joined with me today is just Mr. Adam Deacon. We do not have the captain here with us. Today is actually Thursday, and it is the captain, uh, Mr. Andy Fool's birthday. Big 3-1. So uh, for folks that, you know, if you're listening to this on a Friday, make sure if you guys haven't, make sure you say happy birthday. To old Andy, because it makes him feel good about himself. <laughs> well, though, more especially, it makes you say happy birthday to him, because it's 31, a year after 30, and it makes him feel old. Ooh, that's awesome. Andy, always. Yeah, we, we got a few years. I think we're, we're good on our end. But, but, dude, tell me, how have you been, man? We haven't talked to you in a little bit. You had a tournament this past weekend. Uh, some, some big news coming down the pipe for you. So why don't you let us and the, the folks know? Yeah, dude. Well, uh, I appreciate it. We all had derbies this weekend, you, Andy, and I, and I know we were texting each other back and forth and just, gosh, it's been whew, tournament after tournament. So it's been a little bit busy uh, for sure. And uh, ran over to Nebraska to fish our last team tournament of the year for our, uh, our division is one of the ones that qualifies for the Bassmaster Team National Championship. And so uh, we took team of the year. We finished second there, which locked up our team of the year. It actually came down to a really, really close finish. Uh, the team that was chasing us had to just finish above us to win the way the points worked out because there were some cancellations. And uh, they finished, I think they tied for third, which would have dropped them to fourth based on the big fish rule or whatever. So, but anyways, it came really, really close. It was a two-day tournament. We had 16-4 day one and 13-5 the second day, and I think they had 13-10 day one, and they caught him the second day at like 15 and a half. So it was – it came down to ounces, but we pulled it off, and so I uh, headed to the the national – or the Bass, Bassmaster Team Weekend Series Championship on Ufala, Alabama in December. So excited about that and uh, fishing. We're going to – I'm going to stay with Bart down there. He made it from Minnesota, so excited uh, to go see. I'm not – I have no, no idea on Ufala or what it's like in December, but that's what we're going to do. Oh, that's exciting, dude. Congrats again. I mean, it's unfortunate you have to go stay with Bart down there. That kind of sucks, but <laughs> at, least, at least you uh, you made the team championship, and uh, dude, it's only, I mean, you got a couple months to get ready. I know. I know. It's kind of nice. I'm excited. I think I'm going to, yeah, put some time in on that place and really try and uh, dial some stuff out, because you got a chance to go to the Classic from that one, man. Top, uh, top three teams get broken out, and uh, it's individuals, so anytime you have a chance to go to a Classic, that's a cool deal. Yeah, dude, I am excited to see the process for you in that, and then obviously to uh, preview it a little bit, but also get a full recap once it's over, and hopefully, you know, I won't say anything, we're just going to knock on wood here, and uh, we're going to move on from there, but I think we all know what we're thinking here. Uh, but dude, it's, uh, we got a couple things to note here, uh, Adam's going to be on our show today for a few minutes, and then we're going to let him go before we get Mr. Buck Mallory on, um, but uh, a couple different things. To kind of note for the folks is uh, we have – actually, it's up on my screen right here. Uh, Adam and Andrew and I have been toggling with uh, some ideas of on-the-water shows. And so we're looking into some uh, basically wireless audio uh, ways of getting people on the water to fish uh, to literally do an on-the-water podcast. So we're looking at that. So we'll look for that hopefully this fall. Just something to keep on the radar to keep look, uh, tuning into for the YouTube, especially. Um, and then uh, a couple more things. We got more tournament videos coming uh, and a quick snippet. I want to actually ask you, Adam, because I'm very curious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, 
I did as we were talking about this past weekend. You you did obviously did great. You had second place, solidified team championship. Uh, I had a horrible tournament, and basically, I, my question to you is: so I went. There's a tournament next weekend. It's the Bass Kayak State Championship. So like, okay. winner of that goes to fish the Kayak Classic in conjunction with the Bassmaster Classic, the one I fished in Texas this past year. Yep. Yep. So it's on the same body of water, same two-day format as this past weekend, where I was started in third and ended up in tenth. It was not good. Uh, I joined in that one out of pure revenge. Are are you the kind of guy where you like steer clear of a lake after it's been like so crappy to you, or you're like you like willing like to try to get back as quickly as possible? Okay, jump right back in. I'm with you 100%. Man, I have uh. uh there's just because we have so few lakes here, right? Like a lot of the times you go to a lake and then there's another tournament there the following weekend or that kind of a thing. And man, you can absolutely flip flop it. You know what I mean? It's like, go, go figure out another pattern or, or something that didn't work or understand why your fish didn't bite the second day or whatever it may be. If there wasn't enough of them and you need to find something else, but uh, I'm with you. Jump back on the horse, dude. You got to, you got to give it a go for that second time. Hopefully you come out just absolutely swinging. Yeah, it's like, you know, when people talk about bedfish, when they can't catch certain bedfish, they're like, all right, now it's personal, and then they got to fish for it for three hours. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those things when I have, like, a bad day on a certain lake, especially in a tournament. Like, dude, there's times where I had a bad tournament this year, early season, on one of my home lakes, the lakes I was, should have been done really well. I just couldn't find where my fish went. I literally stayed for four and a half hours after the tournament just to figure out what the heck they did that I wasn't willing to go check in the tournament. Good for you. And, yeah. But it's like I get pissed off, and it's like a personal vendetta against a specific body of water. And this is what this is. So hopefully things go at home next weekend. If not, I don't know if I'm ever going to go to this lake ever again. <laughs> Got it, but either way, you guys can look out for that. we got the tournament video coming for that one, and then uh, hopefully another tournament video from that place in a more successful manner coming down after that. But I think without further ado, we should get him on here. Uh, he's been waiting down the queue for a while. Mr. Buck Mallory. What's going on, dude? How's it going, guys? How, so before we get into it, we just got off the topic here of being like getting pissed and like revengeful on fish or lakes that like you suck at. Are, are you the same way or are you kind of like, nah, I'm not going to waste my time? Oh, no, I'm the same way. I really wish that the NPFL would like let us go back to the Harris chain next year because I'm mad. Like that place set me off, and uh, I yeah, I wish I could have just went right back the next week, but I unfortunately had to go home. But yeah, I hundred percent understand it's uh, it's personal when they beat you. It, it because it's not really against you versus the other anglers. You're mm-hmm. really fishing against the fish. I mean, and when you think you have it going on, then the fish actually beat you. It, it becomes personal. Oh yeah, I am. I do not take any offense of getting my butt whooped against other anglers, but like if I knew I accomplished my mission on that lake that day, I feel fine. But it's when like that lake beats you down and makes you feel like just a, just a dummy is for a lack of a better term. Uh, yeah. You just need to go back and just like get your revenge oh, yeah. on that place and figure something out. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm, I'm willing to fish other leagues in the spring coming up to fish the Harris chain again, just to get my, you know, the dagger out and stab it one more time. I'm, <laughs> I'm antsy for it already. I can't wait to see what our schedule looks like. And I'm really looking forward to see like what the bass opens look like. Cause if they're there, I'm in like, I've got to go out there and knock it out. Yeah. I, I like it. I don't think it would be, 
It'll probably be in the next two years, three years, I would imagine, because next year the elites are going to um, to Harrison. I don't think, besides the St. Lawrence River, I don't know if they'll – do the Opens ever cross over with the elites and kind of do the same lakes? They usually try to stay away from each other a yeah. little bit, just in case there's guys that are fishing the Opens that are in the elites, you know? Right. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, they had that exception this year for their St. Lawrence, and I know it was a dilemma for a few elite guys that were trying to fish it. They're like, wait, you, you announced the schedule – we're not allowed to get information, but mm-hmm. these guys are. It's like, wait a minute here. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, that's a whole really unfair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, so, dude, before we get too deep into the show here, uh, obviously, you've never been on our show before. Uh, for folks who may not know you, tell a little bit about yourself and then uh, kind of dive into how you got into bass fishing in the first place. Okay, so my name is Buck Mallory. Um, I'm from Southwest Michigan, I'm like 25 minutes southwest of Kalamazoo. Um, we're like the god of bass fishing's from you know KVD. Um, so maybe there's something in the water here or something because there's a lot of good fishermen around the area. But uh, I own a construction company. I've been trying to go national in the competitive fishing department for I don't know probably five or six years now. And whether it was I just didn't make it or I just couldn't afford it or whatever, there was always something that came up. And then I got the opportunity to fish the MPFL and I jumped in head first and. Um, I actually started fishing competitively as a small child with my dad. Um, him and I fished like local team derbies and stuff around here, like on the Wednesday nighters and such. Probably, I, I think I was probably five or six years old the first time I fished in a tournament. Um, I won the casting kids, Bassmasters casting kids thing several years in a row in Michigan. Went to the classic a handful of times to do it. Um, just really been involved in the sport my whole life. And I took a little bit of time off and played some football and, you know, grew up a little bit while I was doing it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm back now and I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll with it. I'm, I, I got the dub on Lake Winnebago and I'm a, a little bit afraid that I'm never going to turn back now. It's like, we're, we're Stuck. going, man, just going. It's too late now. Handcuffs are on. You're in it for the long haul. <laughs> I mean, I was already pot committed. Like I've been doing this for so long. I'm like, it, it's like going to school and like trying to get your doctorate, right? It costs so much money. You've been doing it for so long. Like when you're that far in, you're like, oh, it's my last year of school. I'm going to quit. No, no, no. No, you don't. You just go. And Yeah, no choice. Yeah, and I took the <laughs> chance. And, I mean, I was a little bit nervous about whether I could compete in the NPFL or not. And I saw the roster and everything. And, you know, there's some really good fishermen there. And um, to actually have a chance to win the first year, it literally, like, solidified everything, you know. Yeah, man. And I guess I'm kind of curious. I got two kind of preliminary questions before we really start diving into thick things. Uh, you know, because you are a Michigan boy, I mean, are you a smallmouth guy or do you, are you still going after the large heads predominantly? I prefer to fish for largemouth, honestly. Um, I oh, cut my man. teeth fishing for largemouth when I was younger. And now, I mean, there's truthfully on the west side of Michigan, there's not a whole lot of smallmouth unless you go like north, like uh, Traverse hmm. City and all that up that way. Fantastic smallmouth fishing, but like, down by me, that's really not that good unless you do like Chicago and Lake Michigan, where a lot of people are trying to start to figure this little bit out. But um, I honestly never caught a Great Lake smallmouth until I was like 24. And I had nobody um, in my circle that like was willing to teach me. So I, I never actually messed with it. But then I realized, you know, like to work your way out of the, the state, you had to go through Lake St. Clair. Like Michigan BFL schedule is – Lake St. Clair, Lake St. Clair, Detroit River, Detroit River, Detroit River every year. Yeah. 
And I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing here. And it's so big. And the lake's by me, unless you're once again on Lake Michigan, they're not that big. And the first couple times I went there, I got my head caved in. I was like, okay, I got a lot to learn before I can actually go out and compete. And um, a year ago, in like August 1st, I think last year, I won a Michigan BFL on Lake St. Clair for on the boater side for smallmouth. So I've solidified that, that I've learned how to catch the smallmouth bass. I mean, I'm competitive there every time I go anymore. Um, but I truthfully prefer dirty water, heavy cover, big rod, go out and get after the greenheads. I like it. Yeah, you're not winning many St. Clair tournaments on greenfish, so you gotta got to force yourself to learn brown. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I got fortunate enough to – or I was fortunate enough to go over there and put a lot of time in over the last few years. And, I mean, I love that place now. I used to hate it, but now I love it. Um, now that they open the Canadian side back up, it gets really, really good. But, like, when I was there last year for the BFL that I won, um, we were stuck on the Michigan side. And, I mean, I weighed just under 26 pounds. And, you know, that that's ridiculous to say on the Michigan side. I mean, I've had 30-pound sacks in the spring. But, like, that's before our actual season is. And, you know, you're just out there fun fishing. But uh, it's just an incredible fishery. I'm actually really, really lucky to have it like three hours from me. Um, I know a lot of people travel a lot farther than that to go fish that place. But, yeah, it's it's just up the road. I take a lot of people out there that I know. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's a fantastic place. I'm dying to get up there. Adam, I don't know if you've ever been able to venture up to nope. St. Clair. Uh, I was trying to last year, last April. I was going to go up to Benjamin Nowak and go fish St. Clair for a week. That was prior to the border closing because mm-hmm. it literally from, from Buffalo, it is probably a four and a half hour drive, maybe tops mm-hmm. to get, go through Canada and come down to St. Clair. Mm-hmm. Well, it figures two weeks prior to me leaving for that day, closed the border and my four and a half hour drive turned into nine and a half or 10. So yeah. that didn't happen pretty much needless, needless to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but dude, uh, my other question for you is, and this is kind of probably go out to a lot of guys that are trying to uh, make it professionally is, uh, well, how hard is it to handle going professionally and owning a business, but also how easy or how much easier is it on you mentally to own a business while trying to fish professionally, if that makes sense? So like the financial freedom, you could say, right, of being a business owner. So you have like an income coming in. You're not just 100 percent like dependent on sponsor money or like what you actually earn in a tournament. That helps a lot. Um but I'll be honest with you, it's really, really mentally challenging just to be at a tournament and being so far away from like your business for as long as we are. Um, I've skilled my business a little differently the last few years just so I could get away, which has made it better. Like I subcontract stuff out. I'm like the gen- the general contractor mostly. Um, if I would have never done that, I would still be stuck fishing Michigan forever because you can't leave a construction company for 10, 12 days in a row you know, six, seven times a year and expect to succeed. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, a it's been a really, really interesting transition. The actual, uh, I guess the methodology of becoming a professional angler is it's ridiculously hard. Um, when I was younger, when I was like in my early, early twenties, I thought this is going to be the easiest thing ever. I mean, I'm, really, really close friends with like Jonathan Van Dam and stuff. And like, I watched him get to the elite series at a young age and I'm like, Oh man, this is easy. And then, you know, you figure out how much it actually costs, how much you got to drive and 
lodging and fuel and it's just ridiculously expensive and, and tiresome. But if it's really your passion and it's what you really, really want to do, it's hundred percent worth it. Like having the opportunity to do what I'm doing, it's, it's literally a dream come true. So I, I wouldn't, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining when I say how hard it is, the hard work makes it worthwhile. So like when you do achieve your goal, it's just like the, the pinnacle, you know? Yeah. It, well, this has been a, a topic that I've, I've brainstormed on doing a, a complete video over and on the business from the basket side of things too, is you're seeing more and more guys build a business, figure out a way to scale it to the point to where they can take a lot of time off. I mean, just being, being with where I'm at and the guys that I look up to just in my local fishing community, guys that, that are able to travel. Like I have a buddy that just took off to Havasu last night because he's like, man, I've got bumped out of the wildcard points in the Toyota series. And I talked to my secretary and she's like, go, like, send it, go, mm-hmm. go do it, you know? And, and, and he has the systems in place, right. Of, of where he can step away from something. And I think it's a huge thing with the NPFL of, of, of allowing that kind of that six tournament schedule, but also you see a ridiculous amount in tournament fishing. You see a ridiculous amount of business owners in, in trades, a lot of the time in construction mm-hmm. in plumbing and landscaping, where they've been able to scale a business that also has a lot of subcontracting going on to where they can send stuff off, take a little bit of that, but guess what? Hey, I don't have to spend the two weeks working on that job. Mm-hmm. I can take off. And uh, just, I think that we're seeing a paradigm shift of more guys. And personally, that's, that's a safer route in my eyes of building something and then having that income, but also being able to take time off and being like, Hey, I'm not relying on this. You know, there's, there's no easy route, like you said, to professional bass fishing. It's just what you can figure out what works for you. Right. And let's be honest. I mean, like as far as endemic sponsors go, the money's not there like it was, let's say 10 or 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certain guys for sure that like have the big, big contracts, but like those guys have been doing it for a long time and they've earned it. I mean, you're not going to sign up for the opens fish your way in qualify for the elite series and go, Hey Berkeley, I want 80 grand. And they're going to go, yeah, here, let me strike you a check. It's just not that easy. And um, you know, you just got to really work your way into it and you got to work non-endemic sponsors into it too. Cause that's actually where you can get another, you know, foot in the door, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and you know, it's interesting, like from a small business uh, standpoint, like when I first started working and doing what I'm doing, I was like, okay, I'm going to do everything myself. I'm going to keep as few of employees or subs as I can because I want to keep every dollar in my pocket. And now I'm like, okay, I need to get as many jobs as I possibly can because I'm only taking a percentage. And it's it's just flip-flop. The whole man, uh, mental aspect of it is flip-flop for me. I used to be like, oh, six, seven jobs a year, I'm done because it would keep me busy for the whole season. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, then we get snow when I'm done. But uh now I'm like, I'm going to keep my guys working all winter long. They want to work all winter long. I could use three, four, five crews and keep them going. And the economy has luckily been good enough to do so. And yeah, it's been a, it's literally been the best thing that I've ever done as far as a business owner goes. Yeah. And, and to be completely uh, like my thought process with all this, it is something I'm super passionate about, right? And, and I view it in my personal stuff. I've gone independent contractor with what I do in farm and ranch real estate and uh, mostly on the finance side. But like, I think what kills the majority of small businesses from growing to anything bigger is people don't want to let go, right, of, mm-hmm. of a job, of a responsibility. 
and being able to make that paradigm switch in your head to say, look, I can spend more time looking for more deals and take less on each one, but be able to expand. And that also gives you the most important thing, which is your time. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, that's, that's awesome. That's great to hear. That's, I think the best way to do it. And, uh, man, that's something to look up to for sure in the fishing world. I like it. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been challenging. The first little bit of time that I started doing it, I babysat. Like, I'm not going to lie. The mm-hmm. first two or three jobs, I was like showing up every other day. Hey, can I help? What do you guys need? And they're like, yo, you know, you hired us as subs. Like, you can back off. Like, we got it, you know. <laughs> and for me to have that change, it, it took those guys to actually kind of push me out because I didn't want to let go. Um, I took over a business. It was actually my dad's business. And he was very old school and was always, like, involved. And learning his ways and what made him successful. Now that times have changed and, you know, there's more people that want like a salesman and more people want somebody to go hold their hand, like as a customer. Um, It was definitely a big shift. And I'm realizing to this day, like the stuff that he did back then, I mean, it it was great, but you can't do that anymore. People don't want to sign a contract at seven o'clock at night. People don't want, to miss their kid's basketball game because they have to go meet with their contractor. They want you at noon if they can, if they want you at 8 a.m. And if you, you know, if you're stuck on a job site, you can't do that. So it's definitely opened up a lot of doors for other things too, like not even just the fishing, but so I can actually meet with people and be on time and schedule materials. So nobody has any days off or, you know, everything that I need to do to keep them moving. So it's a, it's been a great experience of doing it, but I'll, I'll be honest. The first six months was terrifying <laughs> i bet i bet you gotta take the leap sometime yeah That's and right. i mean I, i've always wanted to do like the professional fishing thing and you know i i sat around a lot for years and i was like oh i gotta find the right sponsor i gotta find the right sponsor then i found out that like okay maybe you will be your best sponsor right away and then you got to work your way into it and i mean I've, I've got some sponsors for this year that have been a huge help not only financially mm-hmm. but everything else involved and you know, so it's great, but definitely having my own uh, capital is nice. And, uh, you know, the the time to be able to drive and not be stressed. I remember fishing the Opens like in 2015 and 16. And all day long when I'm practicing, the guys are calling. The guys are calling. Yeah. What are you to do? Hey, what should I do next? Hey, and you can't focus. Like there's more focus involved in like just the practice aspect of it, not even the tournament, but just the practice and like being mentally prepared that, you take breaks from being like dialed in with what's on the water just to go tend to your employees and you're losing it. You're behind. You can't take any time off. I agree, man. It's a tough spot to be in making running two things during a practice day. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, I, I still will call like my lumber salesman to get stuff out. If the guys are like, Hey, we're ready for the next load. But that's literally like a three minute conversation. I can do it with my headphones in and making Mm -hmm. a cast. Hey dude, just so you know, they're ready. Okay, cool. Sounds good. And it's gone. So, I mean, (laughs) It's uh, it's it's definitely working out. I'm I'm working on several other aspects of it still to really really dial it in. Like, uh, so my my girlfriend she travels with me and uh, she's taking over a lot of like the secretary type stuff. She's gonna be answering the phones a lot more for me while we're on the road. Um, you know, stuff like that really helps out. Just one less thing, you know, one less box to check. So we're uh, we're working on a lot of things together here and. Hopefully together we can make everything just like click and just that much better. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to take over take over the business side of the show, Bailey, but uh, it was cool to cool to hear that from Buck. I knew that uh, he had some sort of ownership in a construction company and uh, just wanted to break that down. But uh, guys, I'm sorry, I have an appointment I got to get to, but I uh, I can't wait to listen to the rest of the episode. Talk a little bit about the fishing. I'll get out of your guys' hair. All right, buddy. It was good to see you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. See you, buddy. See you guys. Take care. Yeah. Well, Buck, I think it sounds like Adam needs to get you on a uh, future episode of Business from the Bass Boat. I think that's what he was basically dropping there is it seems like you two need more time to get a full episode of the whole business breakdown of of all that. Because honestly, really, that route of things of having a financial income that isn't dependent on your success on the road, I think helps a lot of anglers that have that situation like perform better mentally. You know, you don't have to worry about that performance. You can worry about, hey, I'm going to focus on the win for this tournament. I don't have to worry about if I get last or if I get first because right. when I go home, I'm still good. Yeah, that makes sense. It does, and that's true. And I'm, I would have, I'd be happy to get on the show with him and you know break more of like my process down. Um, you know, I, I don't mind sharing any of that information with anybody. Um, I'm still learning. So like, I don't want everybody to take exactly what I'm doing for Bible, but like it's working out for me so far, but um, yeah, it, it's definitely a lot less stressful knowing that I have like income coming in when I'm on the road. I mean, let's be realistic. So without going into travel, without going into like fuel, your boat, whatever else you have $30,000 in entry fees in the NPFL. Mm-hmm. You win a tournament. That's 50 grand. You made $20,000 that's not that great of an income. Um, if you make the base check at every single tournament, that's nine grand, $54,000 over a whole season, but then you got to take 30 grand out of it again. Then you add your travel and all the other stuff into it. It's not a hundred percent realistic to think about it. Like, Oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to earn my way a hundred percent through my tournament earnings. You just really can't do it. It's not feasible to say, Oh, I'm going to win every tournament. Kevin Van Dam never won every tournament. Like Jacob yeah. Wheeler wins quite a bit, but he doesn't win every tournament. You know, it's really not an easy place to be in to just show up and be like, this is exactly how I'm going to do it. I'm going to win my way through. Sponsors want you if you win every tournament. For sure, you're going to get a lot of money. But you got to be able to focus while you're doing it. And unless you have like a trust fund, it's not easy. Yeah. And, and you know, speaking on that too, it's actually a, a really interesting uh, trend that we're seeing in the fishing industry that uh, almost some people call taboo, which is actually a, a topic that we're actually going to cover in the coming weeks here. And that is the shift that you're seeing sponsors go down. And some have talked about it, but we're going to really dive into like the honesty of it. Yeah. Of most companies now don't even care if you really catch them anymore. No, they don't. Yeah, they they're don't. like, what reach do you have mm-hmm. on social and your brand? How much are people going to listen to you and therefore buy something because you said so? Right. That is all they care about now. And rightfully so, because you as a businessman, I think can entirely understand that. Oh yeah, I do. And uh, I definitely came from an era. I'm a little bit older than you. I'm, I'm 35. So like when I was watching this grow and I wanted to become in this world, I bought things because Kevin Van Dam won tournaments. I bought things Mm -hmm. because Pete Reese won tournaments. And that's what I based like what was good versus what wasn't any good from. So like I see both sides of it, right? I understand that like, so if you have a winner on your team who like, you know, 
definitely shows up and competes. Let's say he wins a classic or whatever. That's huge. But also look at like the Guggen squad. There are a oh, bunch yeah. of YouTubers and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not like talking trash, but like there are a bunch of YouTubers that have millions of followers and they grew like it's actually the biggest like soft plastics tackle company in the country. I mean, maybe oh, yeah. it's ridiculous what actual, you know, internet outreach is able to produce for you. It's crazy. Yeah. It's kind of cool to see now. And it's, you know, not, I'm not going to take credit away from if you either do really well in a tournament or you like, quite frankly, win that tournament, mm-hmm. whatever you caught them on is going to sell out. Yep. It is just a fact. It's a trend in the industry that still sells, but a company isn't going to come out to you and be like, and rely on you just winning tournaments. Mm-hmm. They're going to look at your brand Look at how much your community like listens to you, mm-hmm. you know, because there's there's two sides of it, right? I mean, there's there's tournament success, which is still going to sell, but there's brands that literally just sell, even if it's not even tournament fishing. I mean, you know, like you mentioned the Googans. I think Ben Milliken's another really good example of look how he's taken Six Sense and blown the crap out of it, mm-hmm. where people like are all over Six Sense just because that's what he throws in every video, catches mm-hmm. giants. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's cool to see. It's cool for some, sucks for other guys. Like, if, especially the, I want to say, and I, this is not a knock, this is not an insult by any means whatsoever. But the more traditional anglers that have been around for a long time, you're seeing more of them create this more digital branding versus what they've built through time of just success in this industry. Yep. Now you're seeing them, you know, making YouTube channels, posting mm-hmm. more on social media, hiring people to do their social media. And it's because things are going digital, it's becoming a branding thing versus just success. Success is still a variable, but now there's a, a variable that's bigger that more companies are focusing on of, are these people gonna listen to you? I mean, mm-hmm. Rick Clunn could probably sell you anything on, that he speaks about. He could probably sell you a feather that has a trouble hook on it if he says he's gonna catch a fish, but right. like it's, I don't know. But that's a whole other thing that we can go down right now. But what I'm really curious about is getting back to your season so far in the MPFL and then diving into your win, dude, because quite frankly, that was sick to watch. Uh, so, you know, we'll get into that in a little bit, but it was cool to see you come out of nowhere. Keith Carson's leading for two days and then bam, Buck Mallory winner. Sorry, Keith. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you that like when, so him and I talked, um, the last day, right before we weighed in, like before we got out of the water, um, I didn't realize this cause I hadn't been in this position, but I tried to load up when I checked in and I was checking do it like four 30 and I called my girlfriend. I was like, yo, come over here and pick me up. I'm ready to get out of the water. It's been a long day. And I loaded the boat and the director ran over and was like, don't get out of the water yet. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, well, you left in second place. So you got to weigh in next to last. And I was like, Oh, okay. So now I get to go sit out here for how long? He goes, Oh, it might be like 35, 40 minutes. That was probably the most stressful 45 40, 45 minutes of my life. Cause I knew I caught him pretty good, but I didn't know how he did. And uh-huh. like 10, 10 minutes before we loaded up, he pulled up next to me. And we just had a conversation. And I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody. Just tell me, did you catch him or what? And he was like, Nope. And to hear that, I was like, Oh my God, I think I just won this tournament. You know, I was super excited. And, you know, I was talking to a couple of other guys. We, we, you know, we're allowed to communicate back and forth on how we did or whatever. Uh-huh. And uh, I kind of thought I had it pretty well licked until Brandon Perkins weighed in and he was like 10th and he bumped to first place. And I actually had to bump him out and to hear him catch 17 pounds on the final day was incredible. 
And I literally wanted to cry because I didn't think I had him. I was doing the math in my head, and I'm not going to tell you that I'm a mathematician, but like it, it just didn't seem like it was going to add up 100%. Uh-huh. And I was like, God, it's going to be like within a couple ounces. And I was I – mean, four ounces is not very much weight. So it no. was just on the right side of the fence, you know. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's, that's the most stressful part of the day is like especially, you know, and every angler that has been in the game for a little bit understands that feeling of, you know, when you know you got a good bag and you think you might have it in the bag. Mm-hmm. Of, And that, there's that learning lesson because the first time it happens, you're like, yeah. I got this one. You're so set on that you want it. And then some guy drops a big bag and you're like crushed. So mm-hmm. now you learn like moving forward that when you have that feeling, you remember like, okay, remember it's not mm-hmm. over yet. Somebody else still has to weigh in. Right? Sure. Don't get too ahead of yourself. But like at the same point in time, you're like, you're like emotionally in a like washing machine until well, it's yeah, over. I was a wreck. I like trying to have conversations with people, you know, because we had to wait for so long to weigh in when we even got on the, the trailers. I mean, I probably sat in my boat for like 30 minutes. Like David Dudley came in my boat and talked to me for like 15 minutes about the day. And our live stops at one. I think I was one or one thirty on the final day. And I only had four. So he didn't think that I even caught him. And we, he was like giving me a pep talk, like cheering me up. Like, Oh man, you did a really good job. Whether you, you know, had the finish that you really thought you should or not. And when I broke the news to him that like I caught five and then I called, he was like, Oh my God, what do you got? You know, he was all wanting to get into it. And I was like, really not sure, but I, I figured I had 14 pounds. And when I told him that I had 14 pounds, he was like, really like spent, he was 14, what 14, what like, dude, I don't know. My Rapella scale says 14 pounds. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in that, that lineup, you know, and uh, it, it was definitely uh, an emotional roller coaster through the whole thing. Like everybody, going off the excitement was crazy. I mean, I literally had to rewatch the way in to like plug it into my head that that actually happened because it went so fast that, um, you know, you couldn't quite process it. That's such a cool feeling, dude. Heck yeah. Well, dude, let's, let's, so I know you talked about Harris really fast and how it did not go your way, but really fast. Let's walk through the season of how each tournament kind of give a general gist of how it went. Uh, maybe some things you learned from it that might be, you know, that might stand out and then let's dive into, to Winnebago. Okay. So our first tournament was uh, Lake Eufaula. And I, I don't really even know where I finished. I was like in the forties. I missed a check by like a pound and I had a terrible day one. I don't know the nerves or whatever of being my first national tournament. I, I chose, I had two plans. I had a plan B and a plan A and, my plan B was like a moving bait, like a chatterbait, right? And uh, I could get a lot of bites, but I wasn't getting the biggest bites. And then when I was flipping, I wasn't getting a lot of bites, but I was getting good bites, like, you know, four and five pounders and better. And me being uh, very, very competitive and not wanting to fish for like just a check, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to go flip. I might only get eight bites today, but I'll I'll have 20 pounds. And I think I was doing it like three o'clock and – at 145, I had zero fish. And I'm, okay, we got to figure something out. Like I'm pulling the plug, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And I ran back kind of close to the boat ramp and picked up a chatterbait and I caught two in like 15 minutes in a bunch of shorts. And I was like, okay, well, I know what I'm going to do for the rest of the tournament. And I literally was sitting, I think, 90th place on day one. I rallied back to, I think, 46th place or 45th place. And that's, yeah, yeah and that that's going to be, 
where I want to touch a little bit, we talked earlier about the, the all three days, everybody fishing that helped me in that tournament substantially. Like, because I think I was still 60th something on the second day. So I, I had a, a goal weight that I figured if I could catch 15 on day three, I could cut a check. And I think I weighed in like 14, five and I missed yeah. like seven ounces. So yeah, that's such an interesting topic that I think, you know, not only just myself, but those two in the end are going to be really interested to hear. We'll get to, we'll, talk, we'll chat about that after Winnebago, mm-hmm. but like, it's not like the elites where, you know, you make two days, you make day three, you know, that at least you have a check, mm-hmm. right? Now you're just going to see, you're going to swing for, say, you know, you're 40th, right? And you're the last mm-hmm. one to get a check. You can go swing for it. You don't care if you come in with zero. Whereas now, like, you got to fish competitively and do well three days in a row because everyone fishes for three days who don't. For those who don't, uh, who may not, you know, tend to the NPFL as closely in their inaugural season, they fish for three days. Everyone fishes for three days. Mm-hmm. And that's, that could be awesome or very, very stressful and maybe traumatic for some people. <laughs> I, I, I've been on both sides of the fence here, so we'll talk about it when you want to get into it. But. Yeah. yeah, keep um, going through it. Keep going through the schedule from this year, and then we'll, we'll get into that for sure. Yep. So uh, I've never been to any of these lakes that we had in our schedule before this year. Like I went and pre-fished some of them before our cutoffs, but I've never been anywhere. So Texarkana, uh, right Patman Lake, second tournament. It's set up a lot like I would want to fish home. Um, the water was falling, a lot of fish in the brush. The water temperature was right. They were trying to spawn dirty water. I could pick up a moving bait and kind of go around and, you know, figure out where they were funneling out of because it was actually kind of flooded. And for me, it was really simplistic and I should did a lot better. I think I took 22nd, made a $10,000 check. That was my first check in a national tournament. It was actually... I think it was the biggest check I've ever cut in a tournament before uh, Lake Winnebago. So for me, that was huge. It was monumental. I thought I had everything figured out. I was, you know, getting up there and the the confidence level. And then uh, Harris Chain was next. And that one just, yep. (laughs) So I was at the highest, the highest of my career, I thought. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) I'm like, okay, never mind. This isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. Like you fell down a flight of stairs. (laughs) <laughs> it, yeah, it was. It was face plant. I mean, I felt like I broke every bone in my body at that tournament. And uh, I, I let my mind get in the way of things. Like, I, I, I'm i really good at what actually won. Like, the, the way that the top 10 did very well there was just flipping. And I went into, like, a scientific side of things because I've never been there that time of year at all. And it was June. And the water was, like, 84. And in my mind, I'm like, well, they stopped spawning here in February go offshore, find bluegill beds, crank. You're going to find your biggest fish doing that. You're going to be able to catch a good bag. You'll cut a check, no problem. And I caught a lot of fish, but I never caught anything big. I never Mm -hmm. even had a big bite in the tournament. It was so frustrating. And I literally went back and fished shallow every day um, just to catch the fish that I weighed in. And I wish that I would just put my head down and went blind shallow every day of the tournament. It would have been better. Just pick a random bank and say, sure, start there. Yeah, and I, I literally, like, it was one of those things where I, I couldn't do anything right. I uh, I picked up an area um, on, what lake was it over there? I'm trying to think now. Um, it wasn't Harris. It was over. I, I was fishing Buclair and Dora, and I went into a random stretch of docks that I had gotten bit in, 
And I just started fishing docks because, I mean, that's like one of my bread and butter ways of catching fish. And I thought I had it figured out. I caught a couple of keepers. I'm like, okay, we're going to start doing better. And I fish, fish, fish and nothing. I'm pretty thorough when it comes to fishing shallow. I'll pick it apart. And I had a guy come by me and this is on day three. And he hit the dock right behind me and caught a seven pounder that I just caught. Or I just fished on. And I was like, just cut my wrist, cut my throat. I'm done. Like there was no coming out of it. I, I never even got bit in I know that like I, I was throwing, like I was flipping a, a Texas rig and I was like being methodical and he threw a chatterbait underneath the dock and caught like a seven pounder. I'm like, why, why me today? What's going on? You know, it just, it felt like I couldn't win better what I didn't. Like I, I had a couple of decent bites that I, on a chatterbait that I lost and I'm like, why that never happens. Like why? It just wasn't my tournament. You know, um, I honestly couldn't tell you where I finished there, but it was bad. It was like in the seventies. And, uh, I had a really good attitude going to Pickwick and I thought I had a really, really good game plan going on there. Had a good practice day one. I fished ledges until noon. Couldn't get them to fire. I mean, I had the biggest school I've ever marked in my life. I mean, it was five, 600 fish. I had two other guys on it with me. None of us could get them to fire. I had a spot that I found in pre or in in official practice day one. Um, It was pretty unique. It was a little shallower and I was throwing a football jig on it and in pre-practice, I caught, or in official practice, I caught a five and a half and a three in two casts. And I never went back, and it was on day one of practice. Well, I went there at noon, and then an hour and a half, I had enough for third place for the day. And I was like, okay, well, you know what? I can milk this out for three days, and I'll be fine. And I really thought that I had numbers there and the size there that I could go over and win even, and at worst, be like top five. And show up there with a cameraman, all hype, jacked up. I mean, I was fired up. And they were working on what I was fishing, scuba diving it, doing utility work with it. They were, like, using impacts and super noisy. Two guys down there with, like, pneumatic impacts just making all the noise and disturbing everything. And I was so confident in the place that I stayed there and fished around them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking time, too. I know know better, like, because I've done this long enough. But I was so confident because everything that I caught there was really, really good quality. I never caught any small fish. Um, it can go wrong. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> "This is going to be easy, right? This is this is right what I need." And um, yeah, that didn't work out. So I fell from third to, um, I think like sixtieth on day two. Oh and, man, yeah, it was terrible. And then day three, I went out and caught him. Okay, I missed a check by like a pound again. It, it's oh. just like super, super small things that have kept me out of the top 25 at every tournament besides Florida. And uh, so I had like a vendetta going into Winnebago that I was going to go and I was going to win because I was sitting, I want to say I was like 44th or 43rd in points and I have to be in the top 25 to make the championship. So in my head, I'm like, I got to take a top five. And uh, Winnebago is five hours from my house and I've never been there. I mean, I would probably will never go back until we have another tournament either because <laughs> I have three hours a week and I have Lake St. Clair and I can go catch 20 pounds a day every day. Yeah, why would you? Right, and you're going over there and you're looking at 14 pounds. It's like it's a big bag, you know. But yeah. uh, I had the right idea going over there. I went and pre-practiced it like the week before the cutoff and never been there. I had the I was like, I'm going to go smallmouth fish. I watched every video on that lake that I could find. And I came to the conclusion that I thought that if I went out and caught smallmouth 
and I could do it every day, I could win. Uh, let's be honest, a lot of the guys I'm fishing against don't really know how to catch smallmouth that well. So I thought it would be like my upper hand because I've got a lot of experience in the graphing and like the finding off, offshore structure. And uh, this is where I figured a lot of things out. It was like day one of pre-practice there. I, I graphed for four, 14 hours almost and fished a little bit in between. I caught like three smallmouth that might have weighed three pounds total. And I, yeah, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> world on fire here, right? And uh, <laughs> so I was really like kind of frustrated. And I was like, man, I'm not going to get paid doing that, you know. And I only like worked a middle section of the lake. I never got to the south of the north end at that point. And I ran back to the boat ramp so I could go get some dinner and you know, whatnot. And um, I fished a random dock on the way in just because, I mean, I fish a lot of docks up north anyway. And the, like lat longitude lines were pretty close to my home. And I just felt confident that I could at least go catch like a 12 incher and maybe make my day just that much better. And I caught like a four, I literally made one toss on it and I caught a four pounder. Oh man, green or brown? Green. And I went, okay, well, um, let's put that in our back pocket and don't talk about it and just see if it's a fluke. And I put it on the rack for the night and called it a day. And then the next day I got up and I put it in the north end of the lake and um, it was pouring like pouring down rain and I'm, I'm sponsored by Buck and Bass and they're literally the best rain suit in the company or company in the world. And I didn't want to even go out in it cause it was raining so hard. And I was like, help me drive. <laughs> but like, it's just not worth going and driving. So I, I launched and I, I launched up in one of the rivers up North and I just put the trolling motor down to start fishing just to cover water and just to see if maybe that one random shallow bite the day before was a fluke. Mm-hmm. And in one pocket, I caught 14 pounds on a spinner bait in like, I don't know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. I went, okay, well, this is like a lot better than what I'm hearing. Because, I mean, I'll be honest, like our, our our crew of guys that I fish with here, like we're pretty honest with each other because I think we all just want a shot. So, like, we kind of go off of an, e- each other's information. Like, I'll talk to people that I know and be like, how'd your pre-practice go? Whatever, you know. And I talked to a lot of guys before I got there, and they were telling me, you know, eight pounds, 10 pounds a day, you're going to get paid. It's terrible. And I caught – 13 and a half, almost 14 pounds. And like I said, 20 minutes and I went, okay, I'm going to shut up about this. Cause I, I don't really know what else to do. You know, I don't, I don't know how many fish are going to be doing this. And this is a, a pattern that's going to stick around because it, the water, the weather's not going to change, you know? Right. And uh, I kind of did that all day that day. And I found a couple of different areas that I uh, could fish shallow and get bit quite well. And I found another little current break in the river that had a bunch of smallmouth and largemouth in it. And I was feeling really good. Like I, I thought, man, this is going to be really good. Well, then I found out that day that uh, there was a team tournament going on. And 70 boats, locals. And I'm going, oh. team tournament, they should catch more weight than me. You know, two guys fishing for the same weight. These guys are locals. This will give me a good bearing on what I should be looking for. So I went and watched the weigh-in or whatever. And 13-6 won it. And I had almost 15 pounds that day. And I was like, okay, well, maybe we're on the right hmm. track. Kind of keep it, <laughs> you know, go from there. And um, I showed up to actual practice for the tournament, and I never actually put a hook on my rod. I was flipping. Um, it was truthfully, I, I, I'm sponsored by Strike King, and I really run their stuff. And I mean, the the Strike King Rage Bug was what I threw, and mm-hmm. blue. But I uh, I was Texas rigging it, finesse flipping. I was throwing like a three eight ounce weight. And uh, I just put a screw lock keeper on it so I could throw it around the cover and get bit still. 
but not actually yeah. swim off the fish. And right. I went through these areas and I was getting good bites, good bites, good bites, two, three, four pounders. I mean, you could see them. The water was fairly clear. And I just went through and waypointed the heck out of stuff. And, you know, day one of the tournament, I had in my mind, let's, let's go 14 pounds. If you can get 14 pounds, leave it alone, you know. And I went to the north end of the lake and I hit one spot. I caught a couple and I moved on to like some dock fishing. And uh, by, I think, about 1030 in the morning, I had 14 pounds. Ooh. And I was like, okay, you could go through here and maybe get 16, but you're going to burn out all your fish. So right. let's just see where you're at. You know, you get all three days. So I ran literally to the south end of the lake where I had not even practiced, never even been. And I just went and fished and I culled once actually by like five ounces. And uh, so that was, I mean, it was successful, right? I didn't just go burn. Hey, if you didn't go down south, I mean, you might have not gotten that five ounces. And you said you won by four. That yeah. could have been your winning fish right there. It could have been. And, uh, you know, we go to the weigh-in. I sat in fourth place and I was like, okay. We're on the right track, you know, and mm-hmm. you've fished tournaments enough. You understand that, like, especially when a lot of guys are fishing shallow, the weights start to taper off a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was confident that I could hit 14 pounds every day pretty easily. So I was like, okay, let's just go out and catch 14 pounds tomorrow. Did you have people around you at all? A little bit, but not much. I only had a couple of guys in um, different areas. Well, you felt pretty safe. Yeah. The, the one spot, I'm going to give a little bit of a detail here. I had a spot that I could catch both largemouth and smallmouth in, in the river. And it was like an eddy, like a back eddy. And uh, when I found it in pre-practice, I think I caught like 20-something fish. They were all between two to four pounds. And I was a month away from the tournament, so I was catching them. Like I wasn't worried about hurting anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went there and in official practice and threw a drop shot one time, caught a three-pound smallmouth, and I left it. And oh, uh, I, I was committed. I was like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to start. And uh, – I can catch 12 to 13 pounds here every day. It was loaded with fish and, you know, go from there. And I, I thought that, you know, go shallow flipping from there. I could catch 16 truthfully, but like, I don't know about nine 30 in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, I learned a little something and I'm going to share that here is uh, I had a couple of smallmouth in the boat and, and I hadn't seen anybody around it. So I didn't believe that I was sharing it with anybody. Then here comes a guy fishing his way towards me and, I honestly couldn't even tell you his name, so I'm not going to bash anybody's name in the ground when I say this, but it was like I felt like a little bit of a rookie move, and he pulled up next to me and was talking to me about the spot, and he was like, man, when I saw you here, my heart sank. And I was like, well, when I saw you coming, I didn't really like the sight of it either because I thought I had this to myself, and I said, are you fishing the seawall or are you actually fishing this? He's like, I'm fishing the seawalls, but I'm fishing that spot, and there's another one that's a little bit farther up the river too. I said, okay. He said, yeah, um, pretty good area i said it's a very good area and he goes yeah i really caught them good in practice and i was like i mean so you caught them good or did you like get bit good and he goes that post over there i caught like a five six the last day of practice and i'm like and you found this one and he goes the first day of practice i says how many fish have you caught here over practice i probably caught 40 fish oh my gosh okay well now I'm not going to fish this as hard as I thought because it's not going to pan out. You know, they're sore mouth. This, you, he tore them up. And so I had a couple and I left it. And I told him, I was like, you kind of screwed up the spot, man. But whatever. Okay, I'm out of here. And I left and uh, worked my way out and did my thing. But if that spot wouldn't have got beat up, I really think I would have been sitting 16 pounds a day pretty easily. Um, but when I heard that, I instantly thought, okay, let's just look for 14 and let's figure it out. You know, you can scrap it together. Well, 
Second day, 14 pounds. I think I had that by uh, 11 at the latest. And I kind of did the same thing. I went a little bit farther south and picked around. I think I caught one cold fish and I had a little bit over 14 pounds and I weighed in second place. So like my, 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 my mindset's clicking, right? I'm going, right. Yep. Do that again. I bet you come close to winning. You know, you got a shot. And I had three or four sections of the lake that I never touched and like, because I wanted it for day three. And, uh, I did basically the same exact thing on repeat and ran up to the north end of the lake. There was one, one particular dock in a river there that I caught my three biggest fish of the tournament um, over three days. And I shook off like three or four fish in practice there. And I actually thought it was the same fish because I was just hitting it from different angles. And I had my girlfriend with me and I was like, dude, that fish is like a four pounder. And I went there on day one, I caught a 310 and I thought it was the same fish. And I was like, that's amazing. I caught the same fish. Well, I didn't even beat on it. I left it. I was like, meh, I caught the one fish that was there and I was good. Well, then day two, I caught a four and a half off of it. And I'm like, okay, so maybe there's more fish here. And I just left it again. And day three, I went up there and I caught another three and a quarter. And I'm like, well, you can't be mad about that. And I actually on day three, I sat there and I hit every nook and cranny on it. And I caught like two or three other short fish. So I think I picked everything apart. That was there. Um, it was an amazing spot. It like just reloaded overnight every day. It was crazy. But um, I struggled a little bit on day three. I didn't get my limit anywhere near as quick. Um, I had a little bit of a lily pad stretch. It's where I caught all those fish in pre-practice that I told you about with the spinnerbait. Yep. To go through there and I'd flip it. And uh, on day one, I caught three fish and one clump of lily pads off it that were like two and three quarter pound clones. And I left it. And I didn't go back huh. and went back there on day three and I hooked one that was like over four and I'm on camera. I'm in two feet of water. I'm running 17 pound fluorocarbon. I'm not really concerned about breaking off anything. And this fish got me buried. And I was like, do I go up there and get him? You know, I mean, it's easy just to reach down into the weeds and grab him. He's only a foot and a half down. Right. But I was confident that I needed the fish that were in there that I wouldn't do it. And I sat back power pulled down and I played seesaw with this fish for like three minutes and finally broke him off. Oh. And a four pounder on day three, sitting in second place when you leave, is kind of frustrating. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> I, you're not getting a lot of bites either. I mean, I, I honestly only caught like eight keepers on day one, eight, seven, eight keepers on day two. So, like, you know, one of them key fish is really, really hard to swallow. And uh, I caught another keeper out of there. So, like, they were there was still some fish in it, and I had the right idea, but I should have just definitely went for the bigger one. But uh, I went to the next spot from there, and it was another little stretch of docks that I left behind, and I threw up on this dock. And, I mean, before I even had my reel engaged, I saw my line coming out. And I'm like, holy cow, i got to catch up with him. And I reeled down, and I stuck him. And it, this place is pretty clear. There wasn't a lot of algae or anything. And it was, uh, it was a four-something, maybe a five. And he came off at the boat. And I'm, I'm sitting on four fish looking at two big ones that got off on day three, and I literally told my cameraman, I was like, it's not my day. I'm going to take second. It's just not going to happen. And um, I ended up catching a fifth fish and it was a good one. It was a three, but I had like a pound and a half small mouth. So my weight was a lot smaller. I was sitting at like 11 something instead of 14. And I was terrified. I didn't think that I was going to catch a cold fish at all. And I was like, well, you know what? You, you left some stuff behind, go fish it. And I did. And I never even got bit. I don't know if people fished it or if the fish moved or what, but they were just gone. And hmm. to do that for two hours and not get a bite was 
terrifying. And um, I was actually running back to the boat ramp. I was down towards the south end of the lake because I fished everything that I had going down. And uh, I was running back. And for whatever reason, I decided to just like zoom out on my map. And there was like a cove that I hadn't fished since the first day of practice. And I had a waypoint stuck way back in there and I couldn't figure out what it was from. I was like, I don't remember ever going back in there. And I was like, I, I obviously did, or I wouldn't have a waypoint here. So I kind of turned in there and I didn't have a lot of time. I mean, there was like, at that point, I would have been a 15, at least 15 minute boat ride back to the boat ramp, 20 minutes at, at, at worst. And uh, I sat down and I told the camera, I was like, I don't have a lot of time. We got to do this. And I threw up underneath this dock and I instantly got bit. And when I stuck the fish, my four o'clock alarm was going off on my phone. And I'm like, don't, you need it. And I could see it was a big one. And I had this idea that I was going to like boat flip him. And uh, I did like probably way too confidently. And uh, he got probably five or six inches above the rubber rail. My line broke. Oh, but the fish came in the boat. Thank God. Oh man. (laughs) So he broke off what he got in the boat. Yeah, he like line breaks and he falls into the bottom of the boat, and I collapsed. I, I truthfully you, collapsed. You probably pooped yourself and then felt so relieved and like, a whole railroad of <laughs> yeah, and everything of went on. Yeah, everything went on. It was crazy, and uh, I finally like gathered my composure. And my cameraman was like, "He was a funny guy." He was like, "You good?" And I said. Is there like a three pounder underneath my foot? And he goes, yeah, there is. I go, then I guess we're good. And uh, I I called and I looked at my scale and I kind of like teared up. And my cameraman was like, what's going on? You okay? And I said, uh, I think I got 14 pounds. And if I got 14 pounds, I actually got a shot, you know? And uh, I said, I don't know if that's going to be enough. I really thought I was going to have to catch 15 to win, but 14 a day I knew would give me a shot. And I ran back to the boat ramp at that point. I didn't even re-rig. I just ran back and I had like three minutes to spare. So it was super, super close. And, uh, you know, I, I go in there and that fish literally was the one that got me to win. And I'll never forget the place that I caught the fish. I'll never forget the reaction. I like, I seriously, I don't want to pick on him because he's hilarious, but I want Ike and Ellie. I want streaming. <laughs> and like I was melting down. I was so loud that there was like six docks up. There was somebody fishing. And the guy was like, what'd you catch? <laughs> I was like, I think I caught 50 grand. We're <laughs> <laughs> having a party. Come on down after you're done. <laughs> Go but, crack uh, a brew. <laughs> right. And uh, so it was really like a, for that to actually manifest to what it was, was pretty special. You know, I mean, I, I had a game plan, managed the heck out of my fish. I mean, really, really critical for me was, was management of fish. I, I, if I don't went through there willy nilly and just caught everything that I thought I could get, I probably would have never even came close. I would have ran out and, of fish, would have ran out of areas. It would have been terrible. And dude, you know, you said that that's like, you know, this is your way of getting into the, you know, into your professional career. But dude, that's a true veteran move though. Cause like management of fish for multi-day events is probably the biggest thing and probably the most challenging thing for a lot of guys. You know, you can see these up and coming anglers that are, a couple of years in, maybe it's their first season, and they slaughter them the first two days, and they're bleeding everybody by like a few pounds. Mm-hmm. They're like, dang, this kid's legit, whatever. And then he finishes in 12th because he didn't manage his fish, and all his fish are gone on day three or yep. four, whatever have you. I mean, that's a, that's a veteran move, being able to, to manage your fish, and I feel like that's got to be such a confidence boost for you moving forward. Yeah. Because you're going to know when to cycle, when to move. 
obviously mm-hmm. never it's never going to be you know it's not ever 100 always going to be perfect right in terms of what decisions you make but but now you know especially having that trophy sitting right next to you is that you're <laughs> capable of it and you know how to make that process work yeah and i mean i've i've fished multi-day tournaments enough like i'm not going to tell you that i've killed them all but like um I've seen even where like I'll throw one out there that you probably fish because you're from New York, Oneida Lake. Oneida Lake is a great fishery. It is. And I fished there a couple of times and I've always had this idea that I wanted to go shallow and fish for like the, the small mouth and the large mouth that are shallow. You can catch both there. And mm-hmm. in an open guys go fish for like 15 days of practice. And by the time you get there, like, I mean, I, I remember going, and being a week before the tournament and go fish areas that look great shallow and I'll catch one or two, then I'll start shaking them off or like cut the hook off, you know, just to see that I'm getting bitter. If I'm throwing a jig, fold the hook over whatever. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm on such a good pattern. And then you just can't get bit mm-hmm. because people just sore mouth them, you know? So, but seeing that, that uh, transition from when it's really good to work and go really bad. Um, that really has helped beat it into my head that really, really being fluent with the idea of managing the heck out of your fish is, is key. I mean, if you're offshore and you're fishing like a 500 fish school, that's one thing you can go out there and crack them. Oh yeah. But uh, you, you fish the bank and you're fishing shallow grass or docks or whatever it may be that you're on. I mean, some of those places reload if you're in current, but a lot of those places don't, those are resident resident fish and you better a have a lot of places and B really, really, really be due diligent about not overfishing your spots. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. It's it's just such a challenging thing. It seems simple, but it really isn't. Uh, it, it can be very complicated. It, it can be very complicated because our minds let us get very complicated, right? Like, yeah, I mean, and you make predictions. I think predictions is the, is the hardest part that burns you, especially for guys that go, okay, this should be enough, but it turns out it's not enough, mm-hmm. right? I think that's the biggest thing that burns a lot of guys that try to, I don't want to say overmanage, but I think think too much about it is like, Hey, I got 20. So take a pickwick right in the prime. I got 21 or 22 pounds. which should be good enough to get me a top 10 for today. Well, sucks. You're in like thirties because everybody smoked them. It's it's one of those things that can burn you on the flip side of it. When you try to overmanage. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, so if I'm fishing super shallow, that's one thing. Um, I believe that if I'm off the bank at all, um, I'll go whack them as hard as I can on day one, at least, and then see where I sit. And then I can kind of go, all right, so if I'm sitting in 10th, I need to catch them a little bit better. So then I'm obviously going to go lean on them as best as I can for the rest of the tournament, just so I can stay at least where I'm at. But like for this tournament and you know, in particular, sitting in fourth on day one, I was only a pound and a half out of first place. I went, that's going to fall. Like I'm just doing, it was predictions for sure. But like, I've done this long enough to where I went, the weights are going to come down. And honestly, Carson's didn't. So I was kind of nervous on day after day two, because he hit exactly 15 pounds basically every day. Just like I was just barely 14 pounds every day. I was like, I don't know my exact weights off him. And I think it was like 14, six, one day, 14, two, another day than 14, four in that ballpark. And for me watching him go 15, two and 15, even I went day three, I better catch at least 15 pounds or I'm going to lose. And when I had 14, I went, well, I got a shot. If he slips or if somebody else slips or whatever, you're there, you know, you're close. 
And uh, I didn't really know how to, like, you know, predict it, obviously, but I did the best that I could. And, yeah, four ounces is four ounces, I guess. I mean, somebody told or asked me at home, they were like, man, why didn't you catch, like, 17 pounds on day three? Like, wouldn't that made you feel better? I was like, it would have, but, like, it didn't pay me another dollar if I caught by, you know, if I won by six pounds or one pound, you know, or even an ounce. Win to win. Yeah. yeah. So I was stressed out enough as it was just catching what I did. So I don't know if I want to, like, go back and go shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? I'm I'm just tickled pink that I was able to get lucky enough to, uh, to win. And, I mean, being close enough to home, my family came over um, and they watched the third day. That was pretty cool. Um, you know, having a lot of my friends and stuff reach out right away. There's a lot of people that are following this thing a lot closer than I thought. Um, I never actually knew there was that many people that had my cell phone number after that win came up. <laughs> I, I, I had to literally like sit it down because I couldn't focus on it, it was going so bad. So people will make an effort to uh, congratulate folks. Yeah. So it's, it's good, dude. It's a positive thing. And like we we're talking a little bit offline and uh, not, not even offline, we're actually talking about it. It feels like offline because we're going a little bit over an hour now, but earlier in the show, we we're talking about branding, right? I mean, that's so good for your brand that builds a community. So, yep. I mean, it's a crazy what a win can do for somebody, but um, you know, beyond you know, the different areas you had, I mean, was there any big adjustments that you made during the tournament that was you know proven successful or did you pretty much stick right to your game plan? I couldn't have had a game plan work better. I truthfully couldn't have. I, I literally, I picked up a black and blue chatter or a black and blue rage bug. And if I was flipping, I was throwing a black and blue rage bug. I kept it so simple. And the reason why I stuck with that was a lot of the area was very dirty. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt like I could do good in the dirty water. And then when I was fishing underneath like the docks where it was a little cleaner, the shade made it so it was fine. Like it didn't have to be like a green pumpkin with whatever flake because um, the shadows of like the boat or whatever kept the dark bait profile working good. And it, I, I really think, I'm sure that I've been on a few podcasts. I've talked a lot about how I won there. So I probably blew this pattern out of the water now and it's going to be like used a lot. So that's probably <laughs> the reason why I'm not looking forward to going back there. But uh, these fish didn't get fished for. Like, I, I'll be honest with you. I've never had fish shallow anywhere that I've fished before um, react to baits like they did there. It was crazy. If you got anywhere near them, they'd grab it and I'd like pull them out because I wasn't using the hook and I'd shake them off. And I could hop that rage bug one time. They'd just grab it and take off with it again. I'd shake them around. I had one in particular that I'll never forget. I literally was fishing a dock that was like a foot deep. And I threw underneath it. And when he grabbed it, I pulled so hard that he kept it so tight that I drug him to the surface all the way to the boat. He spit it. And I watched him turn around to go back to the dock. I flipped in front of him before it hit the bottom. He had it again. He was taken off with it. Oh, my God. So I, I knew that I was dialed with what I was doing. And I just had so much confidence in it. You know what I mean? Like when you have that kind of confidence in what you're doing, not so like, you know, when, you, when you're setting the hook on a fish, sometimes you feel like you might be rushing it or, boy, I don't know how long they're going to hold it. Well, I learned a lot in this tournament, and I've been doing this in the past too, where you just have like the, the twist lock on. You can really feel how long they're going to hold it. And all the fish were the same. I mean, I could, I could like pull pressure for 10, 11, 12 seconds before they'd want to even think about spitting it. And I'm yeah. going, well, I don't have to rush the hook set here at all, you know. No. <laughs> I remember, like, pulling on them, and you'd feel them crunch down even tighter, and you're like, yep. he really wants that, you know. So <laughs> it, it was it was really relieving for me 
to be able to stick with just like one game plan, basically. I mean, I threw some, uh, I threw a uh, striking Z2 on a drop shot up in the river for smallmouth too, but those are like my one, two punch. I mean, I picked up a chatterbait um, in between like the vibrating jig or whatever in between docks and stuff just to cover water with it, but I never actually got very many bites on it and nothing that I weighed in actually came from that. I can't believe that to this day though, because the water looks so good. There was so much grass in sporadic areas. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to whack them in here. They were really on the docks and that was it. And hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if I sat there and like flipped and yo-yoed every single piece of grass that I got bit to, but um, you know, with that not being the case of having the time to do that, to manage time anyway, the docks were the ticket for me and I just stuck with it. Heck yeah, dude. Well, congrats again on the win. Obviously that's a huge thing for uh, a confidence level mentality uh, kind of going forward as well into your professional career. It's great to have as an accolade. Uh, everyone likes a big trophy, so that's yeah. always cool too. And obviously as we've been talking, uh, you know, that $50,000 check is also pretty huge to somebody trying to get their, their start, you know, as a, as a career in professional fishing. Yeah. Um, but dude, I guess my, my question for you here before we start wrapping things up is, uh, you know, you won this thing shallow and you were talking about, you know, on pickwick fishing ledges, what, what, where's your comfort zone lie? Uh, do, are you, do you pride yourself in being versatile? Are you a shallow guy being that you love largemouth? Uh, are you an offshore guy? Cause you said you're really good with electronics. You know, which one, I guess, do you favor or do you think is your strong suit? I have to say my strong suit or strong suit is shallow, but I'm very versatile. Like I, uh, because I've learned to expand everything for fish and smallmouth and using the electronics for that, it's helped me out being very versatile. So um, I'm not going to lie. I've had some help. Like uh, I said earlier that Jonathan Van Dam is one of my best friends. I stood in his wedding and him and I put some time in the water together and, you know, seeing how other people that are like in the next level fish, and break down water helps, you know, learn. Um, but if I could go fish four foot deep or shallower for the rest of my career and always do well, I would do it. Cause I get terrified when it gets very deep, unless I'm smallmouth fishing. If, if it's clear water and I'm out there with a drop shot or, you know, uh, snapping a tube or anything like that, I'm, I'm loving life, but you get out in that dirtier water. Yeah. I, I like to be four or five, six foot or shallower. And did you beat one of the, the best shallow guys of today at his own game, which I think yeah. is something to be proud of too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I said, there's a lot of guys in this league that are killers and oh, yeah. Keith Carson's is one of them there. Let's be real. I, I'm really surprised he didn't take the elite series over this, but, and that's probably in his future, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, to beat him was like monumental for my confidence and my decision-making. Right. So like, and not even just him, just anybody else in this league. Like when you get a chance to go do really well, it just gives you a lot of confidence and a lot of um, a lot of comfort in what you do. Like if you can make a decision to to go one way or the other, and it uh, it actually pans out, it, it's gonna make your feet that much more comfortable in the front of the boat. You know? Heck yeah. Well, dude. Uh, so the question that we even we hinted at and we touched on briefly earlier was we're talking about the NPFL and everyone fishing the entire field fishing mm -hmm. for three days straight and kind of that variable that adds in, especially, you know, when you're in check range after day two, and usually in other trails, you think you're safe, you're, you know, you're guaranteed a check. You're not in NPFL because yep. a guy can catch a giant bag, bump you out, can skyrocket up into day, uh, day three, um, you know, in the top 10, like it's, 
it's a it's a crazy deal you guys got going on. So that's like a lot of stress for for you to catch every single day. You got performed for three days. Everyone does. Yep. Uh, yeah. Touch on that a little bit. So I'm a big advocate of the fishing all three days because it does give a guy that is in like let's even say you know you're this year we were 36 places a check. Um, if you're sitting like 40th or 50th and you look at it and you're like a two pounds or three pounds off. Yeah, go back and rally and whack them and you might cut a check, you know. Um, it gives you an opportunity. Everybody wants that opportunity. Um, on the other side of the token, though, like when I was in Winnebago, the, the third day there was places that I had left behind that either there was guys fishing or obviously somebody else had went through and picked these fish off because I never got bit for a while towards the end of the day. And I hadn't touched that stuff and I never even set the hook on them in practice. They didn't go anywhere. They just got caught and took home. You know what I mean? So that was very, very stressful. And what was like totally mind blowing to me was uh, the people that I did see fishing, the stuff that I was in were like 30th and below. Um, And that's not a bad thing to be at that place, but like to have to compete with those guys on the final day, I was biting my nails. I was sweating. I was nervous. I was terrified that all my stuff was gone. And I mean, having 105 guys fishing every single day can do that to you. Um, I'm, I was lucky enough to make it work, but on that side of the ball, I was, I was like, God, I wish there was only 10 guys out here. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, at at the same token though, the guy, a lot of the guys are respectful. Um, I had a guy on the third day pull up on me. He didn't realize I was there and he was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even know you were fishing this. I know him really well. And I mean, I was trying to be kind too, because I get it. I've been in, I mean, he wasn't like way out of it. So I'd been there before too. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to fish past over here. Go ahead. And he was like, no, man, you're sitting in second place today, going into the, you know, on the final day, going to win, I'm out of here. And he just left. And by chance, I went farther down, like where I told him to go fish. And I caught one of my key fish there. So like the sportsmanship of that was like key for actually part of me winning too, because I know that as easy as it was for me to catch that fish, and I know the way he fishes, he'd have caught that fish. I mean, at least hooked it mm-hmm. anyway. You know I mean, it was yeah. too deep on the seawall. It, it was going to bite. If you threw it in front of him, he was biting it. So, Yeah, dude, and that's actually a great point because something I've actually kind of seen in recent experience, did a little bit myself, uh, is this uh, – it's really, I shouldn't say an unwritten rule, but basically a code amongst anglers where it's like you don't pull it on somebody in contention when you're not in contention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, you know, it's not, I don't think it's in most cases on purpose. I think it might be just a lack of the education being there, yep. but it's more just out of respect. Like if I don't have a shot to win, I'm not going to get in the way of somebody who has a shot to win. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, now back in Texas for the fast kayak championship, I literally went to, I was in the same area as two of the guys that were in the top five and I was in 20th mm-hmm. out of hundred, whatever. And basically went to those guys right after that tournament because they launched the same ramp that I launched at. And I was like, hey, dudes, I, you know, I intentionally, I want to go there next, uh, tomorrow for the last day, but you guys are going to be there. If you don't want me to go, I'm not going to go. I'll find somewhere else. Right. And they're like, they're like, oh, no, it's fine. You can come. I'm like, okay, well, is there anything you want me to lay off? Because mm-hmm. like, what are you going to be fishing so I don't touch it? Because I, I let's say it's just a respect thing, right? You don't want to ever get in the way of someone and their success. Especially when you know that that success is out of the picture for where you're currently sitting. And I think, unfortunately, I, I think it's just not a 
well-known or talked about thing. People almost like expect it now after years of, you know, of fishing that it's just going to go generation by generation. But I think as people have seen with the upcoming generations that uh, you, you got to keep that education going. If you know For sure. And it's, uh, it, it's, it, I've noticed it more on the NPFL. Like, I mean, I, I think a lot of these guys have fished in this level or at least at the opens and Toyotas enough to know that rule. Um, I've seen that work out a lot this year, but like, I remember fishing opens and Toyotas where guys will pull up on whoever they didn't care. And that rule goes out the window. I've, I've given up spots on Lake Champlain that I was, I mean, I was sitting like 25th place and I knew a guy that was sitting in the top five and we were kind of working the same area and I left it. I was like, Hey, good luck. Catch him. And that same guy on a Toyota tournament on Lake Erie, we were fishing within a few hundred yards of each other on day one, I was tied for first place. And that was like 25 boats behind him. And it was like four footers on day two. And, uh, I got down there and he was literally like right on top of my waypoint. And I'm like, where's the respect, man? I thought we were friends. And he was like, what are you talking about? I go, you know, right where I was fishing. I mean, we talked here, we had conversations and he's like, Oh, I, I, you can go fish my stuff too. I was like, well, there's a difference between like where I'm sitting and I was tied for first and you're sitting over there in 20th. Like, I'm sure it's yeah. good. Like there's a reason why I'm here. And right. Yeah. It burnt me there. I was actually really, really frustrated, but, uh, I guess I'm not going to say names. If he hears this, he'll know who he is. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, yeah, it well. should get spoken of more often. I mean, it's it's unfortunate to say it, but like when you're in 20th place on the third day, you're not going to win. It, no. It's not going to happen. So, um, it just is what it is. So, you know, you can only do what you can do. I wish other people like respected that as much as you know most of us do, but eventually it'll happen. You know, I think people will start kick, or catching on to it. And I don't know. The, the, the problem is, is they don't teach it like in the high school level now, because the high school tournament guys are the next generation. And these kids, like I saw it in uh, Florida. I don't come, don't get me wrong. I was not doing good in Florida, but they would pull right up on you. And like their boat captains that are the adults are like, Hey, how's it going? And I'm like we're fishing the same stretch here, obviously. And you're fishing for what? A hundred bucks. Like, come on. Yeah. Oh yeah, we'll share it with you. <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks. That's not how this works. <laughs> right. It's even the adults that are involved with it. Like, I don't understand where they don't just go, Yeah, I mean, he's obviously fishing for a lot of money here. Let's get out of here. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, fishing for a livelihood for the yeah. most part. I mean, for most cases. Yeah, it is too. And I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, I don't want to go like into severe detail, but this is what I've always wanted to do. I mean, I love my business and I'm very grateful to have it, but like the opportunity to fish this level is exactly what I've always wanted to do. And I'm not done here. Like I'm, I'm planning on fishing the opens next year and hopefully qualifying to the elite series later on. Like, I mean, if I qualify next year, I'll take it. But um, I really had a plan in my head of using the national professional fishing league as like a confidence builder and skill builder, you know, learning the stuff on the road and how to travel and whatever. And if I can get the opportunity to fish the elite series, I'd love to. That's like the, to me, that's the pinnacle. You know, I think in a few years, the NPFL is going to get really, really, really big. And I would love to be part of it then, too. Um, it's been a really, really great experience being at the very bottom of this. Like when it first started, I was one of the first guys that actually signed into it. Um, I think I was like the 15th person that actually committed. And um, to get to know the ownership group and everybody that's involved as much as we have and like for them to be as good of people as they are to us. 
I've got zero regrets. I would love to be here forever, but just for something about the elite series, I would love to be there. Some, you know what I mean? That's the goal. So yeah. um, that's, that's my opportunity that I'm looking into for next year. I'm going to try to fish at least one of the opens along with the NFL and uh, maybe knock my way into the elite series. Heck yeah, man. That'd be awesome. For I'm sure. pulling for you. I hope I, I get there, but um, you know, either way, it's still a great ride and I'm really happy with what I've got. So, Heck yeah, dude. Just keep that momentum going. I mean, you got one more left in Oklahoma, which should be an interesting event, to say the least, for you guys. Oklahoma in October is uh, what I've heard is going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I went over and looked around um, right before our cutoff. I was there for a couple of days. Um, I learned a lot. I caught some actually really good fish. Um, I'm not going to give away anything that I'm doing there at all on this podcast, but I had oh, you're time. not going to give out waypoints or what bait you're using? <laughs> I'm not even going to tell them how deep I was fishing. Like, Come on. That, that <laughs> but, uh, I want you to bring your graph inside and just give us a, a full rundown <laughs> of where they're going to get caught. <laughs> I got the I got the battery sitting next to me. I'll go get it. Give me about five minutes. There you go. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm like, that's that's my probably my biggest downfall is I like to overshare because I want everybody else to enjoy themselves too. But, like, uh, I'm, I'm really – I really need to catch them to make the championship. I'm sitting – uh 33rd in points and you gotta be top 25 i think mathematically i came up with like 18th i'd make it as long as nothing changed um there's gonna be some change-ups in the the top 15 it's just gonna happen this place is gonna be tough um but i really think that i'm gonna do just fine i feel really confident after my pre-practice that's i've been knocking on the wood <laughs> over here and uh this little cold front that they got over there, like right now, it makes me a little nervous. I'm afraid that the fish are going to take off on me a little bit, but I, it shouldn't be bad because it just happened. So um, it's supposed to be pretty hot during pre, or like the official practice in the tournament too. So we'll be good. Huh? I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully uh, I'll be able to get over there, do killer, qualify for the championship and get back on the show and tell you guys all about it. That sounds like a good game plan to me, dude. Perfect. <laughs> Well, hey, dude, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up right here. This last question for you, um, and this is completely non-really fishing related. This is just kind of something we ask everybody that's new to the show, uh, and that is if you could sit down, invite three individuals, uh, whether they're alive currently, alive a thousand years ago, they don't even have to be the fishing industry. It could be you know professional sport players, whatever. You invite three different people, sit down, have a beer, have a steak, pick their brain. Who are you gonna invite? Oh boy, that's so I'm business oriented and I want to know how people learn this stuff. So like uh I'll pick a couple of people in the fishing industry and just other people that are just like in general entrepreneurs. So Okay. Um, I would love to sit down and have a beer and a steak with Gerald Swindle. Okay. He's not only a character, but he's just very brandable, right? So like to learn how he does his branding and how he markets himself as good as he does, I'd love to have that in my back pocket. I've had a, a dinner and a steak and a beer with Kevin Van Dam before. So like that would be the icon. Mm -hmm. I've already had that opportunity. So like the next one in my, in my mind is as far as how he markets himself as Wendell. Um, I'd love to do that. Um, let me think who else would I really like to get to sit down with that's in the fishing industry. <sighs> Clun. He's interesting. He's very, very smart. Um, very philosophical. Yes. Yeah. And that's another thing that a lot of people don't, utilize enough i think so 
learning that old school technique and stuff that he's learned over the years. Oh my God. Just to hear him talk about it would be amazing. And then, um, you know, I, I honestly would like to pick up somebody like, uh, boy, this is a hard one. <laughs> There's so many successful people. That's what's so hard about I this. Know. I know. I know. Um, like Bill Gates, man, how do you make millions and millions and billions of dollars? Like that would be great to hear his story of how it actually started without reading the book. You know what I mean? Like getting it out of the horse's mouth. Somebody like that would be crazy to, to learn from. Yeah. Do it out of your garage too from the start. <laughs> I mean, I don't, he's going to go to my garage ever, but that, that would be pretty awesome. Hey. <laughs> yeah. But, well, dude, that is quite a trio, but, uh, uh, first of all, thank you for taking the time out of your day. I know you got a bunch of stuff to do today before you head down to Oklahoma. So I appreciate you taking the time out. It's been an absolute pleasure to get you on the show. We hope this is definitely not the last time to get you on. Hopefully after uh, Oklahoma and the championship, we'll, we'll, you'll be a frequent flyer of the Serious Angler podcast, and you are always welcome, sir. But, uh, dude, good luck in Oklahoma. Uh, go sack them up. We'll be watching and rooting for you. But uh, if there's anybody you want to thank, throw out there, sponsor-wise, anything, feel free to, to plug them away. But just want to say sure. thanks for taking the time, dude. Yeah, no problem. I, I actually appreciate you guys having me on. I know it was kind of like a last-minute thing that we threw together before I got on the road. And I appreciate you getting me on before I got on the road because, like we talked about earlier, when you're on the road, you just kind of <laughs> got to get the hand. So yeah. um, I guess for, for sponsors and stuff, I, my title sponsor for 2021 was uh, Applied Imaging out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, John is the owner, John Lowry. He's a great guy. He's been a huge, huge benefit to my life and my brand. Um, next in line, I would like to thank Will George from, uh, Bucket Mass. I just had him at the house last week. We've, uh, we we're going over a bunch of great stuff. He's a, he's a killer dude. He's awesome. We have a great time together. Um, you know, Strike King Lures, lose. Um, I'm looking forward to, jumping into a really good relationship moving on forward with them guys. I've been working with them quite a bit for a few years now. Um, let me think Costa sunglasses is great. Love them. Love to have them on the squad with me. Um, love to support them. They, they have the best sunglasses on the market as far as I'm concerned. Um, other than that, man, I guess my, my friends and family that follow along, I appreciate the support. So. Heck yeah, dude. Well, uh, we sure, uh, certainly appreciate your time. So, uh, thanks for taking the time out today. Obviously, we'll be staying in touch with you, and uh, don't be a stranger. We'll be following along. We are we are Buck Mallory fans now, and that's the <laughs> cool thing about uh, this show here is, you know, myself, Andrew, Adam, we are all fans of the sport. So everybody that we get on here, we become instant fans of, and uh, we pay very close attention to each and every person that comes on the show that we get to talk to and associate with because, dude. Uh, we just appreciate you guys taking time out of your day because, like, we don't pay anybody, as you know. We don't, you know, we don't have any money to pay people, so <laughs> it, it means a lot for you guys to take, you know, a couple hours out of your day to uh, teach us more about fishing, teach the viewers about fishing, and we certainly know that they appreciate the hell out of that. So we thank it, we thank you, and we appreciate it, man. Well, that's what we're here for, right? I mean, it's last I knew professional fishing wasn't just going out and winning the tournaments to teach and learn and to grow your brand and to help other people grow too. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for anybody that watches the show. Follow me on social medias, uh, Buck Mallory fishing at Instagram. 
and then Buck Mallory Bass on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's uh yeah, I, I I'd love to have people reach out. I, I'm I don't really hide a whole lot. I don't really get very discreet with very many things. If people have a question for them, <laughs> so um, I get it. Well, we will have uh, for folks that are either listening on MP3 or tuning into the YouTube. If you guys go down into the description or show notes, it will be all of Buck's social media. Quick link, it will be right there. You can follow along and uh, obviously see how he does in Oklahoma and become a Buck Mallory fan alike ourselves. So, Perfect. Sounds good to me. Dude. Yeah, man. Well, do we appreciate it. And uh, for folks that are listening, we don't really have an outro today because it's just myself. So for folks, you know, this thing moving forward is uh, Monday Night Live will be joined by Hunter Shryock. So hopefully you guys can join in for that one. Uh, we have some pretty cool stuff that we're going to be starting to give away in these coming next shows. So, but dude, uh, Buck, it's been real, dude. We'll be talking to you shortly. And uh, for folks, hopefully see you guys on Monday Night Live. Sounds good. Take it easy. We'll see you soon. See you, Buck. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Searsanga fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.